Good to be here with you all. My name is Jonathan, and I am the campus pastor here. Uh, it is great to be here this Mother's Day. Uh, but, but I want to actually just start by, by picking up on one of the announcements we, we just heard, and that is about our summer sports camp. Uh, in the past couple of years, we've done a soccer camp here. We're broadening that a little bit wider to be just sort of all sports. You don't have to just like soccer to, to come to the camp. Uh, but, but what I want to actually tell you about is, is actually why you should volunteer. Uh, we, we've done this for a couple of years now, and I've noticed there are things that happen every single year, and it's, it's part of the reason why we're so excited to actually be able to do this again and again. Uh, the first thing that we get to do when we put on these sports camps is we get to talk about Jesus in public, all right? The, the sports camp is going to take place here in Promontory, just down on the field. And if you've ever been there on just an ordinary weekday night during the summer, you know it is filled with people. People are walking around on the playgrounds, in the, the forest, the park, everywhere. And we get an opportunity not only to show the love of God to the kids who are there, but also to talk about God. And, and every single year, I, I look around and I can see people listening to us. I see people as they're walking around going like this and, and just kind of watching what we're doing. It's an awesome opportunity to, to show the gospel a little bit in visible terms in our community. But number two, the other thing that happens every year is kids just show up. Every year we've done this, kids have just walked in off of the street and said, hey, can we join? That looks like a lot of fun. And the answer is always, yes, come on in. In fact, last year, uh, a kid showed up, said, hey, that looks like a ton of fun. Can I join? Can I play on a team? I said, yeah, come on in. And 20 minutes later, he heard the gospel for the first time in his life. So you see, that's why we're actually doing these camps. It's not just because, hey, we want to do something with our kids over the summer. No, it's actually because we get a chance to talk about Jesus to our community and to kids who, who've never heard it before. So if you are interested in, in serving, if you have that time off, if you are around in the middle of July, please come talk with me, come talk with Patricia. We'd love to get you involved. It is well worth your time. It's a couple evenings uh, for a week, and it is an awesome opportunity to share the love of Jesus. All right, so Come talk with me. Uh, it'll be a great, a great summer. But it is Mother's Day, and so I, I wanted to start off today uh, by talking a little bit about one particular mother uh, from church history. Uh, this woman's name was, and i got to make sure I pronounce this right, Anthusa. All right, bit of an interesting name. She lived uh, in the early 300s AD, all right, long time ago. Uh, this woman was named Anthusa, and she had a son, her son was named John. He actually became quite famous later in life. His name became known as John Chrysostom. He was one of the greatest preachers the church has ever known. But Anthusa herself, shortly after becoming a mother, after having John, actually also then became a widow. Her husband passed away quite suddenly, and so suddenly now she is having to raise this child on her own and is understandably really worried about what's going to happen. Right? How, how is her, her son going to grow up and actually know the Lord and, and trust Him? How is he not going to get taken off into all the, 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 the culture around him, which was very corrupt, very, very pagan, uh, you know, lots of things going on? And so she's worried about her son. And so she starts to pray. And she prays for her son on a regular basis. She begins to, to teach him as he grows older, little bits about the Bible, everything that she, she knows 
And as he started to grow up, everyone started realizing, well, this guy is actually quite brilliant. He's, he's quite smart. He's just, you know, eating up everything that he can possibly learn. And so she had an opportunity to send him to, to go and, and learn from some of the, the greatest scholars in the world at the time. He was, he was uh, training in, in theology. But later on in his life, what John Chrysostom would write about that time is, yes, he, he learned a lot, but this is what he said, that he drank still more deeply of the things of the Spirit from his mother at home. Despite being able to study with some of the greatest minds at the time, he would say he learned more about God from his mom. In one sense, that is already just an absolutely astounding legacy and something I, I think we all are, are trying to work towards. But she, she was able to teach him so much, not because she was, you know, the, the greatest scholar or learned person. She was able to teach him simply because she modeled what it looked like to follow after Jesus. And her son saw that, picked it up, and continued with that for the rest of his life. In fact, a little bit later when, when John got older, late teens, early 20s, he, he started, he wanted to become a monk in the desert, right? Which is, I know, that's what every, you know, 20-year-old wants to do, become a monk in the desert. Um, but it was kind of the thing to do at the time. If you wanted to prove you were serious, that's what you did. You, you became a monk. And so he told his mom, mom, I'm going to go become a monk in the desert and I'm going to live by myself. And she said, no, you're not. <laughs> and the amazing thing is, he didn't go. He actually listened to his mother. I would almost expect a 20-year-old to go, no, of course I'm going to go. You, you're not the boss of me. But he listened to his mom. And he actually stayed with her. It was only a few years later that she ended up passing away. And, and John said, well, now I'm free. I'm going to go live as a monk in the desert. And so he went and he lived for, for about two years. He lived in the desert all by himself. And he was reading the Bible and he was studying. And you know what he found out? He found out his mother was right. He started reading the Bible and he realized you can't actually follow what the Bible tells you to do on your own. You cannot be a Christian by yourself. In fact, the Bible compels us to be together, right? To, to actually show love to one another and to share the gospel. He could not be a Christian on his own. And really, that, that's kind of what we've been doing throughout this series as we've been looking at, at family dynamics. What we're talking about is how do we as Christians, as the family of God, actually get along together? How do we serve one another? And so this morning, we're going to pick that series up, and we're going to look at one group in particular, and that is women. All right? This morning, we're asking the question, how should the church view, treat, speak about women in the church? And in one sense, you'd think, well, I mean, that should be a very easy question to answer, shouldn't it? Right? Of course it should. You know, it's obvious we should treat women well, and yet it wouldn't be hard to come up with more than one example of where that hasn't taken place, where that hasn't taken place not only in sort of around the world in, in our society, but also in churches as well. There have been plenty of examples where women have been either taken advantage of or ostracized and pushed away. But this morning, what I want us to do is instead of, of looking at, shall we say, all the bad examples of what could be, I want us to spend our time looking at what the Bible calls us to do. Because actually, I think that's far more beautiful and far more compelling to do than simply to mourn over the poor examples. And so, if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to open 
We're going to spend our time here in 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, we're going to look at how the Bible calls us to treat women, but then we're going to kind of zoom out and we're going to see a big picture of, of, of what uh, Paul and really God is, is calling our church to do. All right. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let me invite you actually to stand with me as we read the Word of God. This is God's Word. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. As far as the reading of God's Word, you may be seated. Right? It, this is a short passage for us, but really it's, it's one that's incredibly important to understand and actually begin to put into practice. Right? One of the primary ways that God talks about the church is a, a family together. And so, if you're familiar with the book of 1 Timothy, what we've just read, you'll know it's a book that, or a letter written by Paul. Paul is writing to Timothy, his, his protege, and Timothy at this point has now gone off and he is a pastor on his own. All right? And so Paul is, is writing to Timothy and he's saying, hey, here's all the things you need to know about how the church is supposed to function, how you're supposed to work all these different dynamics out. And so he talks about all kinds of things, church polity, leadership, and then he gets into this whole section that we just started here, and that is, how do you treat one another? How do you actually get along with each other? And, and so this morning, we're going to focus in on really how do we treat women? The church is called to treat women as mothers and sisters pursuing the gospel together for the glory of God. And ultimately, I think that is our calling for this church as well. So we're going to start by just walking through these few little verses and unpacking what Paul has in mind, right? Paul calls the church to treat women as mothers and sisters. Now, look with me here in, in verse 1. I know verse 1 is about men, but it's, it's the beginning of the sentence, so look at it again with me. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Right? Now, now, the word here that Paul is using for rebuke is actually quite a harsh term. Right? All, all throughout the Bible, there are times where people are called to rebuke one another. Actually, you know, that's how we, we learn. Right? We, we understand, hey, let's not do that. Let's do something else. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a, a harsh rebuke, a censure, almost, almost trying to hum humiliate someone in, uh, in what you are saying. And Paul says, that's not how you are to address an older man in the church. Rather, you are to encourage him as you would a father. Now, now, the point here that I want us to see is that is not just for older men, right? Paul isn't saying that's how you should treat older men, but older women, yeah, it's fine. You can rebuke them all you want. No, no, that's not the point. Actually, the command is for each group here. So you can read the verse uh, following and you can say, yeah, do not rebuke a younger man, but encourage him as a brother. Do not rebuke an older woman, but encourage her as you would a mother. Do not rebuke a younger woman, but encourage her as you would a sister. It's the same command across all of these different groups. Do not rebuke, but instead encourage. And really, that shouldn't be surprising to us as the church. We're called to be a family bound together by love. That is to be our defining feature. And so it's no surprise that we're not called to, you know, try and ream someone out or make them look foolish in the church. No, we are to address one another as family. 
Treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. And then verse 3, it says, honor widows who are truly widows. Paul here in this section then goes on and he begins to unpack what, what does he mean by those who are truly widows, right? And he begins to unpack, well, well what if they have family? What if they don't have family? What if they uh, have, have kids? What if they don't have kids? What if they have, you know, are older, younger, want to get married, don't want to get married? He goes through all these different things, but the command there is still the same, honor these women, See, in that culture, if you were a widow, especially if you didn't have family, didn't have kids, or at least didn't have grown kids, you could actually find yourself quite destitute. There weren't a lot of options for these women. They couldn't just go down and get a job. No, they, they were very much on their own. And so, unless the church actually said, yeah, we will help and support and take care of you, these women would be completely on their own. And so, Paul says, I want you to take extra care to make sure you are taking care of these widows. By the way, that is still the command for the church. We honor those women who are on their own, whose husbands have passed away, we absolutely are still called to honor and take care of those widows, right? In fact, it's, it's really the same command we're, we're given to mothers as well, right? Paul says you are to treat older women as mothers. Well, the Bible has lots to say about how do you treat your mom, right? As, as uh, John already alluded to, it's the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, we are to honor our mothers. That is the, the, the primary way that we ought to interact with the women in this church. Now, you might say, well, does that mean I don't have to honor the, the younger women? <laughs> no, that, that's not what Paul is saying. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't worry about them. Don't honor them. No, of course not. That is the defining feature, but our relationship will look different. Encourage them. Speak well of the women who are here. Do not dismiss them. Do not push them off to the side. See, in many ways, in, in the Jewish culture, women were not allowed the same thing when they went into the synagogue, right? They would have to go off to their own side. Paul says that's not how the church is going to operate. Actually, you are to honor the women among you. Treat them as mothers and sisters, Encourage them and recognize the incredible contributions that the women in even this church do, right? Promontory would not run were it not for the incredible sacrificial service of many women here, right? Amber, Lois, you guys lead worship all the time. Jessica, I can't see where you are, but Jessica helps and serves in our welcome team. Patricia, helping organize and, and manage all of the kids' ministry. We cannot run outside of the sacrificial contribution of many, many, many women who are here. I am so grateful and so thankful for your service. We are called to honor the women who are here. Treat the older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters. And then Paul adds in this next little phrase, in all purity. Paul adds this extra dimension of purity when he refers to the, the younger women. And it's not, you know, it's not terribly hard to understand the reason why. Timothy was himself a young man, and as far as we know, he was not married now, there's no command that says Timothy wasn't able to be married, and so Timothy has every right to marry someone from that church. And so Paul says, look, I know that maybe you are thinking about marrying someone. You still treat those women, one of whom you may marry at some point, in all purity. 
In fact, that is how the church is called to treat women across the board. Treat them with all purity. Purity in how we think about the women who are here, how we speak to them, and how we treat them. Right? Jesus makes this abundantly clear when he talks about adultery. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Right? Jesus is not going to say, Hey, as long as you don't actually do anything, it's all okay. No. Actually, how we, how we think, how we speak about, and how we treat women is to be done in all purity in the church. Treat these women as fellow heirs in the church, where they are to be treated well, respected, and even protected. Right? As I was preparing the sermon, I was trying to think, I'm like, is there a good story in the Bible about a sister? There's not a ton of stories about sisters, and, and not a lot of them are, are always great, just to be clear, not a lot of them, but brothers are that great either. There's a lot of murdering brothers, okay? But one of them that, that's, that's slightly better is, is the story of Dinah. If you're familiar with the story of Dinah, she was a sister to the 12 sons of, of Israel, right? The 12 brothers, one of, they already tried to kill Joseph. But in Genesis uh, 34, Dinah is, is, is taken advantage of by this guy. And so what do her brothers do? Well, they go to war with an entire city over this, right? Which, which is not a great response. They're rebuked for that response, but I think their intent was right. They wanted to protect and defend their sister. In fact, I, I think the church is intended to be a place where women are protected, not taken advantage of, not pushed to the side, equal members of the household of God. In fact, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Right? Paul's not saying here there's no difference between men and women. No, what he's saying is when we stand before God, everyone stands side by side. Everyone, there is only one way to be saved, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. No one is saved apart from that. And so before God, everyone stands together. And so the, the call is then, treat the women in this church as you would treat your family, as you would treat those who are standing side by side before God. In fact, this is what the church is still called to do, and my prayer is that is what this church would look like, where one can actually come here and not worry about being harassed, that they felt known, heard, cared for, and loved by the entire church. See here, as we, as we think through this, I, I think we need to realize this is a command both for men and for women. Right? Women, you're actually called to treat one another as sisters and mothers. So women, get to know some of the other women who are here. Support, encourage, listen, talk to, figure out what's going on. If you, if you are a mom here, maybe you've been a mom for a, little while, uh, for a little while, actually help out some of the other moms. Somewhere along the line, parenting became a little bit of a competition, Right? Almost as if, you know, we have to outdo one another in here's all my systems and here's the, the good things that I'm doing and here's the, the right philosophy that I have and you need to do it my way. Parenting isn't competition, it's collaboration. 
Do not treat the women as rivals, but as helpers and sisters. And men, you are also called to encourage the women here, which means you don't get to ignore 50% of the church. See, sometimes I I think men from, from a good place have sometimes begun to stop talking to women altogether, right? Wanting to protect in all purity, we've begun to almost ignore half of the church. Now, I'm not saying you need to swing the pendulum the other way and say, all right, I'm going to go take out a bunch of women for coffee. No, come on, all right? What I'm saying is, if you're called to encourage your sisters in Christ, occasionally you need to talk to them, get to know them. If you're called to support, how can you possibly speak respectfully or honor those you don't know? The church is a family, We're called to care and love one another. We are called to treat the women in this church as mothers and sisters, as fellow members of God's family. But here's where I want to ask a bit of a question. And the question I want to ask is, why? Why are we called to do this? Now, in one sense, you might be saying, "Um, because women are human beings and we should treat them well. Yeah, that that is a true biblical answer, right? God has made men and women all in His image. As image bearers, we are to treat all human beings with respect, honor, and dignity. That is true, okay? But then why does Paul have this specific command for the church? Is it that every woman is to be like a mother or a sister? Actually, Paul here is, he's narrowed the field into the church, and there is a particular honor that is to be bestowed within the church. So so what exactly or why exactly is Paul getting to that? And here's where we need to kind of zoom out a little bit in our text to understand Paul's greater point. See, chapter 5 here is is the beginning of what we call a household code. Paul is is talking about how does the household of God here relate to one another. So, he walks through. Men, here's how you relate to one another. Here's how you relate to women. Then he goes on to widows, spends a while talking about that. Then he goes on to the elders in the church. How does the church and the eldership actually interact with one another? Then he goes on to talk about slaves and masters. And right at the very end, if you want to go, you can go all the way down to chapter 6. Chapter 6, he tells Timothy, uh, verse 2, now teach and urge these things. What things? Everything he just talked about, how to treat one another. He is to teach them, and then he follows it with a warning. If anyone teaches a different doctor, doctrine and does not agree, and then he follows through with, with what happens to, to false teachers and where that all leads. But he comes down to verse 11, and he says, but as for you, O man of God, Flee these things. Flee the things that these false teachers are going towards. Instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So, what is Paul saying here? Okay, that that was a whole lot of, of stuff. He's saying here, he teaches the church, here's how you are to treat one another. Timothy, teach these things. He gives them a warning about false teaching, and then he comes back and says, now you pursue righteousness and hold fast to the gospel. Why is he linking those two? 
Why is he linking holding on to the gospel, pursuing it, and how we treat one another? Ultimately, because they are linked. Listen to what uh, John writes in the letter of 1 John. He says, we love because he first loved us. Jesus, God, loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, the point that John is making, and I think the point that Paul is making in his letter, is that if we say we love God, if we say, yes, I am a Christian and I am following after Jesus, then it determines how we treat one another. We cannot say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, and at the same time treating our brothers and sisters poorly. John just simply calls it out and says, you're a liar. You're lying. Because here's the thing, if we understand what the gospel actually is, Jesus actually came and He loved us so much that He would die on the cross to pay for our sins. If we have understood that, if we have accepted that, if we have trusted in Him, how dare we then not love others with that same love? How, that, that should define every relationship, and I think that's exactly what Paul is saying. Paul is saying to Timothy, I want you to to pursue after righteousness, to fight for that good fight of faith. How do you do that? Treat one another well. Learn how to treat one another well in the household of God. See, how we treat one another reflects what we actually believe about the gospel. We pursue the gospel by putting it into practice in our lives. The same love that God loved us, we show to others. The same forgiveness that we have in Jesus, we forgive others. The same holiness that Jesus lived, we then live it with others. We imitate Him in all these things. And here's here's the good news is when we actually do that, it begins to actually then encourage one another as well. It goes all the way back to verse 1 where we started. Paul says, don't rebuke, but encourage. Actually, be encouraging to one another. In fact, encourage the women in your church as mothers and as sisters. And here's where I think we need to make sure we don't fall into the trap of just general encouragement, right? Because sometimes what happens, and I see this more so directed at a lot of women, but a lot of times the, the encouragement becomes very, uh, I'm going to say vapid, right? It, it's, it goes along the lines of, you know, hey girl, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're, what you're fighting right now, but you just need to know you can do it, all right? You are enough. You are good enough. Just no matter what's in front of you, no matter what obstacle, you're amazing and you can overcome it, right? That, that is junk food encouragement, Right? It, it, it tastes good, but it's empty. There's no actual substance to that. And I think the calling for the church is not to say, let's just have some sort of general encouragement, but actually, let's encourage one another in the gospel. We encourage one another in what Jesus has done. So moms, the next time you feel like, I, I've really messed up, 
The answer isn't, hey, don't worry, you're good enough, you are sufficient. No, actually the gospel says none of us are good enough. That's the whole point. None of us are without sin. What we need is a Savior, and the good news is we have one in Jesus Christ. He has forgiven us. That's the good news. Go to Him, the one who truly forgives you, and the one who gives you His Holy Spirit. It's not rely more on yourself. It's rely more on what God is able to do through you. Trust in His wisdom in your life. See, I want real encouragement. The church is called to encourage one another as we pursue the gospel together. So why do we treat women as mothers and sisters with honor, respect, dignity, and purity? It's so that we would actually be able to pursue the gospel side by side, that we would encourage one another with the truth of what Jesus has done. And the final reason Paul gives is that it is for the glory of God. Paul writes in chapter 6, just following what we, what we read, he says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul charges Timothy, and he says, before God the Father and before Jesus Christ who died and rose again, I am charging you to keep this commandment unstained and free from reproach. Now, I think Paul probably has in mind a lot of what he's talked about in the book of 1 Timothy, but that certainly includes then how we treat one another. Keep that commandment unstained and free from reproach. See, here's the thing. Whenever the church has mistreated women, not only has that been a a hurt and, and, and caused all manner of pain, it's also hurt the, the reputation of God. The glory of God gets dragged through the mud, and, and the good news of Jesus looks awfully bad. See, how we treat one another actually matters in a big way, because we are called, as Christians, we are called to reflect God's glory in everything that we do, and that includes then how do we treat one another Jesus says in John chapter 13, by this all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love for one another is the defining feature of the church. It is the means by which we are called to display the glory of God to one another and to the watching world. It's not a minor matter. It's the reason God created the world in the first place, to reflect and display His glory. The church is called treat women as mothers and sisters to pursue the gospel together that God would be glorified. And this is our calling as a church. Even on on Mother's Day where where we are celebrating the, the, the mothers that have raised us, It is a reminder that we are called to to honor our mothers and our sisters in the family of God. The church is God's family, and so we treat one another as a family in love, in purity, in respect, and honor. 
We do so that we might actually follow after what God has called us to, the perfect example of Jesus Christ, and encourage one another to do the same as we give all the honor, all the glory, ultimately to God our Father. That's what we are called to do as a church. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Father, we are so grateful that You sent Jesus Christ to this earth to live a, a perfect life, to die on the cross because we are not able to do it on our own. Father, we are unable to, to save ourselves from our sins. We cannot meet Your perfect standard of righteousness, and yet You have done these things in our stead. And so, Father, I pray, would our lives be reflections of that amazing love and glory that You have put on display? Lord, as we, as we treat, as we speak to one another, Lord, I, I pray, would we do so in love? Lord, for the women who are here, Lord, I, I pray that they would feel safe and protected, cared for, and loved as You have loved us. Father, I pray, would we honor You in how we treat one another. And Lord, I pray, would You be magnified in the love that is here. We ask these things in Your name. Amen.